Isaiah 30, verse 18, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him. What's that about? God is right next to you. God doesn't force his way into your life unless you invite him. That's what this is talking about. So he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. Are you waiting for his help? Verse 21, your own ears will hear him. Our ears will hear him say, right behind you a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Man, I love that. I love that. God is speaking. And we have to listen for his voice as he communicates with those he created. Let's go to the uh, book of 1 Thessalonians. We're starting a new series today. Uh, we took three weeks to get, in, get through Ruth chapter 1. We're going to put her to rest for a moment. Well, more than a moment, but for a while. And uh, go to the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As we walk through this book, starting at verse 1, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So... You received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. William Phelps was called for years Yale's most inspiring professor. He passed away in 1943. This is what he had to say. While he was a professor, I believe a knowledge of the Bible without a college course is more valuable than a college course without a Bible. My friend, you have an opportunity to study the Bible right here, right now. And I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you to take full advantage of it. What a privilege it is. To have a Bible and have it open and have it, we read it and we obey it. So let's talk to the Lord and invite him into our time this morning. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you how you, man, a God who created all things, you put a homing instinct in birds. Man, it's just a reminder Lord, how you planted eternity in every human being that we would find our way back home again with our creator God. And you prove that great love by sending your only son to the cross to pay for our sin debt. So when we put our faith in you, that relationship is 
just beginning for the rest of our lives. Lord, help us today. Help us today to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we need your help, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can visit Thessalonica today. It's still there. If you have a travel guide, they'll call it Thessaloniki. Little little change in the in the title of the city. It's an important industrial commercial city in modern Greece and is second to Athens in population. So you may want to put that on your bucket list, right? Thessaloniki, that's, I want want to get there. Anyway, this particular city, Thessalonica, back in the day during World War II, it was captured by the German army, and the Jewish population of 60,000 was deported and ultimately exterminated. And I got to tell you, man, I've been to some concentration camps. I've seen the ovens. What human beings can do to human beings when you negate the presence of God in a person's life. Friend, are you doing that? Are you negating the presence of God in your life? It's a dangerous place to be. And I realize there's a battle raging for your soul. We talk about this homing instinct, this plant of a soul in every human being because God wants to connect to that soul. And the enemy of your soul is doing everything in his power to keep that from happening. I'm telling you, man, it's going on big time right now. A lot of distractions hitting the fan in life. Everybody's got an opinion about something, but let me ask you a question. Don't you want God's opinion In fact, it's not an opinion, it's fact. To keep that on the forefront of our minds and our lives. And so we see that Paul um, and his companions probably arrived in Thessalonica in the early summer of AD 50. They planted the first Christian church in that city but left about three months later after their lives were threatened. And you can go to the book of Acts chapter 17. It kind of gives you some backstory uh, in, in Paul's uh, life and why they had to leave that particular city. So at his first opportunity, probably stopping in the, the city of Corinth, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how these new believers, this new church plant, how they were doing spiritually. And Timothy returned after he uh, evaluated what was going on in that city with the church. And he said, man, Paul, (laughs) they are strong. They are strong in their faith. They're unified. Great things are going on. And so Paul was really encouraged. And so because Paul had to leave 
because of his life being threatened, he didn't have an opportunity to kind of disciple this church. Um, They had questions about their faith. And so he's writing this letter back to the church at Thessalonica to help answer some of the questions that these young followers of Christ had. And um, in the process, you, you catch the the spirit of Paul here when he's really encouraging these people, this early church, this young church, uh, by their example. So number one in your notes, intro, uh, because it's a, it's a new book, it's the beginning of a book, it's a, that's a great word to use, intro, uh, to give a little background. We've kind of done that already. Uh, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We're writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God the Father. Notice it's not to those who don't belong to God the Father. Uh, He's writing to the bride of Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God give you grace and peace. Man, do we need that today, huh? We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. So Paul begins this letter by introducing... Uh, He and his colleagues, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Paul was a Roman citizen. After Stephen's death, Saul went on a vigorous campaign to terminate Christianity from the face of the earth. That was his assignment in life. In Acts 8.3, it says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But guess what? Maybe you feel like you've messed up so big and bad that God could never love you. But listen, man, here's Paul killing people, arresting people for their faith in Christ. And God has a bigger plan for them. And God has a plan for your life. Even though you may be haunted from your past or even the way you're living your life right now, that God could never love me or use me. Not true. And even though Saul at the time knew how to handle horses, he got thrown from that horse on the road to Damascus when he had an encounter with the living God and he realized Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah in Acts 9. You can read that. Acts 9.15, Go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. So Paul and Silas evangelized the city of Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17 describes the preaching of Paul and Silas in that city and the conversion of what verse 4 says, some of the Jews in Acts 17 who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. That's the early church in Thessalonica. But guess what? (laughs) The Jewish leaders got ticked off, man, uh, because now there's competition. They were envious, they were angry, and uh, they watched from their synagogues uh, uh, those... Uh, walking away from false teachers, idols, on and on, and where these folks started putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And so when a riot broke out, Paul and Silas 
had to leave undercover for the safety of their lives. So there we have it, the intro, the intro. Paul says, may God give you grace and peace. Grace means God's unmerited favor. And um, peace refers to the peace that Christ made between believers and God through his death on a cross. Why? Because before we put our faith in Christ, there was hostility between you and God. You know, there was pushback. I don't want God to lead my life. I don't want God to be supreme in my life. There was hostility. Well, that wall of hostility was broken down when Jesus paid for our sin dead on the cross. So Christ offers grace in the form of life's great blessings and, and, dot, 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 the ability to handle challenges. The ability to handle challenges. And so, you and I, we can pray for one another for God's grace to be poured into situations where there is life challenges. He offers his peace as an inner calm no matter what those outward circumstances present themselves. I thank God for his peace, man. And verse two, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. I don't know if you're getting stressed out right now. I don't know, you know if your blood pressure is spiking, uh, COVID-19 and all the stuff going on, you know, the pushback, etc. Can I just give you a little hint what Paul is suggesting here? He says, we always thank God for all of you. You want to deflect some of that stress in your life, start becoming grateful and thankful for what God has done and what God is doing in your lives. You may want to go up to somebody face to face, man, and say, hey, I am so thankful for your life. I'm grateful. There is something that God put in human beings that helps relieve stress when we become grateful. And I'll tell you something else, man. Here's another cool one. Thank God. Thank Jesus for paying for your sin debt. Thank the Holy Spirit for giving you the power to say no to sin and yes to holiness. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so that's what Paul's doing. And he says, I pray for you constantly. It's a good word. It's a good word. Number two, hope modeled. Look at verse three. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. Three characteristics that the believers uh, modeled that stood out uh, in Paul's mind. And here, first of all, he said they performed an important work produced by faith in Christ. Verse nine mentions that they had left their idols behind and put their faith in Jesus Christ exclusively. Second, they did loving deeds. Guess what, friend? 
living your faith in Jesus Christ cannot be lived out in a vacuum. There's a lot of people today that are isolating themselves and their faith is suffering because of it. You cannot live your faith in a vacuum. And here we see that the believers were doing good deeds. Now, does that mean they were doing good deeds to earn salvation? No, they were already saved. When you put your faith in Christ, you want to do good deeds. You want to serve. You want to model the, that servant's heart of Jesus Christ. Man, it's just automatic. Those deeds literally means toil and hardship. In other words, this was an easy stuff, man, you know? <laughs> no, it cost them something. It says toil and hardship. Third, Paul says they had enduring hope because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Enduring literally means a bearing up patiently under a heavy load. You, you hold up patiently when there's a heavy load on your back. You endure, man. Why? How did that happen? How did this, this new church, these young believers stand up? Because they had hope in Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. <laughs> Woo! Come on! That's marching music right there. How about it, David Zebarth? All other ground is sinking sand, man. All other ground is sinking sand. It's quicksand. Not good. Man, you watch those westerns and these guys get into that quicksand. It's creepy. They disappear right before your eyes, man. You see that? I'd hate to go down like that, wouldn't you? All other ground is sinking sand. And, and, this enduring hope you have because of the Lord Jesus Christ, that refers to the Christ's second coming. And guess what? This is not a, you know, I hope he comes back. I hope he comes back. No, that's not what Paul is writing. There is certainty. This word hope gives the picture of certainty that he is coming back. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Number three, I'm loved. Look at verse four. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. Do you know that? Uh, listen, I've been around long enough to know that there are people that feel that God loves everybody but them. You know, There's no way that God could love them because they are, they're not good enough. They've messed up too much. Paul is writing to the new church, young believers, man. They're still navigating their, their way through life in a very hostile environment. And Paul says, guess what, man? You are loved by God. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You don't read the Bible, you don't know it. I'm loved. Paul's reminding them that they're loved, man. You are loved by God. 
God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. Of course, we know the proof of God loving us was when he sent Jesus to the cross. That's, that should be enough, but... 1 John 4, 9 and 10, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. See, not through us or doing good stuff. No, it's through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. John three thirty six, anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. We'll get to that uh, in verse 10, but um, God holds each individual personally responsible for their decision to trust him or not. let's, Let's say that again. God holds each of us personally responsible for our decision to trust him or not to trust him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And I, I was thinking about this when putting these notes together. Let's read verse 4 again. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. This is where... This is where, you know, uh, that word chosen in the original means to be, uh, there's predestined to be the elect. And some people think they get hung up on that. Please don't get hung up on that. This is a very simple explanation. God loves you and he's chosen you to be his own people. The slide of human beings... um, lined up, and I know quite, (laughs) this doesn't accurately picture it, but this is how I see it, that God took all of humanity and he lined them up and he went down the list, the line, and one by one, he looked into everybody's eyes and their face and he says, I Choose you. He went to the next one. I choose you. Now, for now, seven and a half billion people on this planet, that would take a little while. But God can handle it. And here's the thing. Some of you may be you, you still experience that rejection when you were a child when somebody did not pick you for a team. When somebody did not pick you to be their friend. But here's the good news. God has gone to every human being and he says, I choose you. But here's the thing. Love gives you the freedom to say no. Love gives you the freedom to reject that love of being chosen to do your own thing. How sad that is, huh? But that's love. And God waits, going back to Isaiah 30, he's waiting for you and I to say, yes, God, I choose you. I do. 
Daniel Ritchie, and you've heard me talk about him in the past, he's, uh, I get encouraged by him. Um, he says, I was born without arms and spent the majority of my life being told that I was a hopeless mistake and woefully insufficient to lead a full life. Yet at the age of 15, God used a pastor to tell me of God's love for me and that I was fearfully and wonderfully made in Psalm 139. And I received Christ as my Savior. From that moment on, the work of the Spirit has blown me away. Where there was once bitterness and anger, God was bringing out love and joy. Where fear had once reigned, Christ was reassuring me that he is always with me. The work of the Spirit was showing itself in very visible ways. One year after getting saved, I submitted my life to a full-time call to ministry. God opened doors in my teenage years to preach and to take part in a few internships. Along the way, God has allowed me to serve in camp ministry as a student pastor, a conference speaker, and writer. I now spend my time traveling, preaching, and speaking at churches, conferences, and youth events in the United States and abroad. My book, My Affliction for His Glory, was released in 2018. So beyond the ministry aspect of my life, I am a married man and father. I have been married to my best friend, Heather, for 14 years, and we have two remarkable kids. So Daniel Ritchie struggled with the fact that how could God love him, and how could he allow God to pour his love into a man, a young man without arms. It was when he said yes to what God said about him in Psalm 139. He is loved and it radically changed his life. Maybe you need to do that this morning. Number four, the good news presented. Look at uh, verse five. For when we brought you the good news, the gospel, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what he, we said was true. Aren't you glad for that? The gospel is true, and the Holy Spirit endorses that. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. And so, once again, the good news is in motion. That's the title of today's talk. The good news, man, it's, it's, it's being spread. It's being communicated. And it was brought to the people in Thessalonica. And man, they responded. Paul and his team, when they arrived in Thessalonica, there were no believers in that city. And when he left, there was a strong church that was planted. Great news. Great news. When Paul brought the gospel message to the people, he spoke with words. But guess what? God used those words. Man, he breathed on those words to ignite understanding in these individuals where they believe the message. Man. Paul used God's words by enveloping them in divine power, God's power, God's Holy Spirit. God breathed on those words. Romans eight eleven. the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in you. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You are a temple the, t the presence of Almighty God, His Son and Spirit resides in you, man. 
And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, I also pray that you will understand. Lord, help us understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. You can't live this life with your own power, your own ability. You need God's power, man. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse, Verse five says, for the Holy Spirit gave full assurance In other words, boom, put that stamp of approval. In other words, they weren't wasting their time. The Holy Spirit did his work. Man, when we present the gospel, we need the Holy Spirit to ignite those words too, right? We sure do. Only the Holy Spirit can convict Where people say, man, I'm a sinner. I I recognize my sin. Sin will keep me away from a holy God. That's why I need a savior. That's what Paul is talking about here. The work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Number five, the good news received and modeled. Look at verse six and seven. So you received the message with joy. Isn't that great? Receiving the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In other words, they had to pay a price. This wasn't some, hey man, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, I'll put my faith in Christ. No, they suffered for it. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord, and as a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. You know what? The gospel message here was welcomed with joy even though it cost these individuals suffering. Hmm. You know what? This was expected. No surprise. No surprise because Jesus himself said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. See, you're cool if you belong to the world, man. Everybody pat you on the back, but you put your faith in Christ. Whoops. But you are no longer part of the world. In other words, you cut the cord, man. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. And since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would would listen to you. They will do all... This to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. There you go. No surprise. No surprise. No surprise. You go back to Acts 16, Paul and Silas. uh, They were beaten and imprisoned. In verse 23, it says they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. And then, if, if that's not enough for you, you can go to 2 Corinthians 11 and just read through the litany of the suffering that Paul experienced because of his faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, that'll get you fired up. Yeah, 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 bring it on, man, bring it on. <laughs> no, we naturally resist pain and suffering. 
We don't want to sign on to that. Do we? No. No. Verse 7, Paul says, As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Paul praised this young church because they were modeling the character of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Why do we struggle so much with modeling the character of God? Why do we, you know, we're like at the roller coaster ride. Why not just dial in like this young church and say yes to Jesus and say no to the world. Be done with it once and for all, man. They were a worldwide example. Their reputation went before them. Paul said, wherever I go, people are talking about the church in Thessalonica, man. Great advertising for the kingdom of God. May life church be great advertisement for God's kingdom in Jesus' name. Number six, the good news dispensed, verse eight, and now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. In other words, they can't help themselves, man. Even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith. Man, have you seen what's going on in Thessalonica? Holy smoke, those people are on fire for God. That was like a wildfire, prairie fire, spreading the great news about God because this church dialed in for the glory of God. Man, we don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. Once again, the gospel's going out. Notice, they believed it, they lived it, and they shared it. They believed it, they lived it, and they had to share it. When the gospel comes to you, it works in you, and then it should flow out of you. That's the way it should work. Here's the thing, man. Good reminder. Good reminder. The, their faith was vibrant. And you see this in history. You, you've seen it in, in, in the early universities that promoted Bible education in the universities in America. Harvard, Princeton, Yale. Denominations, after they're around a while, guess what? They turn into monuments. You know? There's no power there. There's no life there. It's dead, man. Because you get comfortable. You can just get into a ritual, you know? We can get into a ritual of just coming to church on Sundays. Just, yeah, I'm doing my duty. But there's nothing going on in your heart. It's a dangerous thing, man, when we just cruise into church and cruise out again. God, mess me up. Mess me up from the inside. I'm, last week, a dude in America 
If I said his name, you'd know him. He's gone because he did something stupid. A leader in the Christian community. Gone. You think this is some kind of a game, man? You can just cruise in and cruise? No, 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 no. There's a battle raging. You get comfortable, you're going to get destroyed. And you have to keep your eyes open on Jesus Christ and him alone. And you look at, they, they left their idols. You know, hey, Mount Olympus, I'm not talking about the Wisconsin Dells. This is Mount Olympus, 50 miles outside of Thessalonica. Mount Olympus, that's where all the Greek mythology gods hung out, so to speak. There were 13 of them. You had, you had Zeus, that was the sky god. You had Poseidon, who was the sea god. You had Apollo, who was the music, all the way to medicine gods. You had 13 gods and goddesses. How would you like to live your life with 13 gods and goddesses? How do you keep up with that? We go to the one true God because he alone is alive. And he inhabits the praises of his people. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. So because of this Greek mythology, that's where the pushback came. That's where the pushback came to the church. You're not going to believe these Cool gods, man. They've been around here for a long time. No, no, no. We're, we're, we're going to put our faith in the one true God. And they took all kinds of flack for that. They left their idols behind. I think, friends, we need to, we need to dial into this verse. There, there's too many in the church today that are hanging on to stuff that's a big distraction away from God. You know? It's competing for God's attention. It's competing for God being on the throne of your life. You, just like these, these young believers, they said, no more idols, man. No more. They're out of our house. Gone forever. We need to be resolute in getting rid of anything that's competing with God. And number seven, hope for a great future. Look at verse 10. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. There's that hope again. Why? Because they're looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven. Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He's alive. He's not still in the grave. He raised him. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. The terrors. of the coming judgment. You know what? I don't have to live in fear of the coming judgment <laughs> because I've been forgiven. You know? John 3.36, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. Justice will be served because God sees everything. He knows everything. And Paul's referring to the terrors of the coming judgment. And there's a variety of things, but I'll tell you what the ultimate one is found in Revelation 20. 
Verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it and the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. You can't get, friend, you're not gonna get away from this. It's decision time. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and a grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And here it is, verse 15. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. God is waiting. God is waiting for you to say yes to him because he does not want you to be thrown into the lake of fire. That is far far removed from his heart. He wants you to put your faith in him. Just last week, there were missing sailors that were rescued from the Pacific Island after the SOS signal was spotted in the sand. You see the SOS? Crews that were flying overhead saw the SOS. What does that mean? Help! I can't do it myself. I need help from the outside. That's what SOS means. I need help from the outside. I can't rescue myself. Well, they wrote that. They realized this is bigger than us. We need help from the outside. And guess what? The men were, spot, were found in good conditions about 118 miles away from where they were first lost. And their SOS message was spotted. And they were rescued. What's that about? There were people that cared enough about you to tell you about Jesus. You're going to heaven because somebody else cared to tell you about Christ. Who have you cared enough to tell? Hmm? Who are you taking to heaven with you, friend? This entire chapter is about the gospel going out. And I'll tell you something. Debbie and I had this conversation yesterday. From our little bit of observations, it just seems that parents don't have a passion to see their children in heaven. A passion. Whatever it takes, man. Oh, yeah, that, you know. It's, it's this passive attitude that's crept into the church, man. It's dangerous. Read Revelation 20 again. Do you want your son and daughter to be thrown into the lake of fire? Ask yourself that question. Oh, we'll get to church whenever it you know, works out. No. I'm telling you, friend, somebody cared enough about you to tell you about Jesus. We need to start caring. Because it's either heaven or hell. There's no middle ground here. And this morning, if you have not put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you. Jesus, I am a sinner. 
I'm a sinner and sin will keep me out of your presence. And so thank you that Jesus paid for my sin dead and full on the cross. Forgive my sins, Lord. I receive you into my life. And I'm asking your Holy Spirit to give me the power to live for you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for writing my name in the book of life. Father, thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to a very young church. But they didn't mess around, Lord. They dug in. They, they were passionate about living for you and telling others about what you did in their lives. Forgive us, Lord, if we have become so passive in our faith, so passive in our sin. Forgive us, Lord. These are critical days we're living in. So help us to lean on you and allow you to live through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.